This talk is about, essentially the title is The Fight for Freedom, Overcoming the Desires of the Flesh. And so we're going to kind of talk about life in the flesh versus life in the spirit, which is the theme of this semester is the flesh and the spirit. I don't know, you guys probably worship songs from morning prayer, right? So we sing hymns from morning prayer. Just in the, I don't know if you know in the back of your brewery, there's all of those hymns. Turns out we don't know most of them. And so it's always funny, like 6 a.m., trying to figure out which ones we know. But the one that we've been singing recently is like the Easter one. Life the eternal heavenly rejoices, Jesus lives who once was dead. Which is like, you know, you sing every Easter. Which is a great 6 a.m. hymn, you know. Just like really, vocal cords are shining, feeling good about myself. Um, but I love that song a lot. I love it because it's joyful, and I think the, the best line for me is, life eternal, heaven rejoices, Jesus lives who once was dead. And that is a really cool way for me to start my day because it, it's the center of my life, right? Jesus was dead, and now he's alive. And what that means is that I was dead, and now I get to be alive, right? And that is, that is crazy. Um, dead in my sin, alive in the spirit. Now that is what's being offered to me. And so that is really crazy. And I think it's hard to imagine what that looks like. So I'll give you a couple examples um, for what that, that means for us. A good friend of mine, when she was in college, she was addicted to pornography. So she um, would watch a lot of porn. It started when she was a kid and she just couldn't shake it. She couldn't shake the habit. Um, it changed the way she thought of relationships. It changed the way she related to herself. It changed what her ideas of what marriage could be were, you know. But it, it was enslaving, you know. She knew that it was gross and she hated it, but she couldn't stop, right? And then through grace and prayer and Christ, she was able to be free from that. Right, so freed from addiction and given new life. And that's what she would say. She would say is that she really was like allowed to live after that. And so I'm sure there are things like that in our life that aren't as obvious, but things that were enslaved and were dead and Jesus is offering us life. Another example just in my life is we were never supposed to be able to make a baby. You know, it was like always from the time I was a kid, like, probably not going to happen. Like, you have, you're barren. You know, it's dry land. It's dead land. There's no way. And then I got pregnant. You know, the Lord brings life and he brings healing and abundance. And that is what we're being offered. And it's not just for heaven, right? We can imagine in heaven, everything will be perfect and everything will be whole. But that starts here. Like, we get to be free here. So I just want us to imagine, like, what if we were free you know, like, what if we were free of our bodily insecurity? What if we were free of our anxiety? What if we were free of wanting to please other people? What if we were free of hating other people? What if we were free um, of our addictions to food and to, to Instagram? What if we were free? And the reality is we get to be free. And, and that is a life that's being offered, and that is what... We're going to talk about like what it looks like to be free, how we get there. And so that'll be kind of this talk and then the next talk that we have. And St. Paul kind of paints these two things as 
the desires of the flesh versus the desires of the spirit. So, um, there's scripture, if you look at the Pauline letters, so Galatians, Romans, they're ripe with this kind of terminology. And so I'll read a couple scripture verses to you. I think one or two of them are on your papers. For those who live according to the flesh are concerned with the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit with the things of the spirit, the concern of the flesh is death, but the concern of the spirit is life and peace. The concern of the flesh is hostility towards God. It does not submit to the law of God, nor can it. And those in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh. On the contrary, you are in the Spirit, if only the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. Whoever does not have the Spirit of God, Christ does not belong to him. And then he exhorts us, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the desires of the flesh. The one who sows for the flesh will reap corruption from the flesh, but the one who sows for the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about life and death here. Um, and so the, the flesh, when Paul talks about the flesh, what he's talking about is kind of our disordered human nature that thinks it knows what's good for us, but is wrong. It thinks that it knows what will make us happy, but it, it actually seeks what is contrary to God. And so we have like this broken nature and this clouded vision and broken hearts that can't see clearly. You know, and so part of the Christian life is putting to death that broken self, that broken vision, and, and getting eternal or getting abundant life. So Zoe is the, the Greek word for, for life abundance. So we kind of put away the desires of the flesh and we take on life in the spirit. So life in the spirit is when we live a, a redeemed humanity, um, a humanity that has been healed by God and transformed by God. And it sees clearly, it sees the way God sees, and it's able to act out of that instead of acting out of brokenness and slavery. When, when we live in the Spirit, we know that God is going to make us happy, and we know His will more clearly, and are able to do it. So for me, the kind of most striking example of this is, I just finished Story of the Soul, which honestly I didn't like the first half, thought it was weird. Um, God loves St. Therese. But then I read the second half of it when she enters the convent. And you can just tell that her heart has been redeemed and has been healed. And the way she interacts with the world and the way she perceives things is just, I mean, it feels revolutionary. Like, she just, everything that happens to her, she is able to receive from God and lean into as a way to love, as a way to show mercy, as a way um, to be purified. As a, as a way to, to embrace her beloved. And it's just because the Lord has been able to redeem her heart and heal her heart so she can see things the way that he sees them. And she, she's living a, her true and abundant life. She's living a life alive, even though she doesn't have like the most exciting life. You know, it's the most enlivened life. So this is kind of the Christian struggle. Like, People talk about being like a woman in labor pains or a spiritual struggle against good and evil. So it's a struggle to live by the spirit and not by the flesh and to, to live out of God's vision for us instead of out of our own kind of broken and clouded vision. And the thing is, is this is how we're meant to live, right? God created us. He knows what's best for us. And so when we talk about sin, we're just talking about things that we're not made for. We're talking about things that 
are, are below us, things that will not satisfy us. So we're talking about sin for a little bit now. So what's the big problem with sin? I think sometimes sin gets confused with just kind of like imperfections or like kind of social things, you know. Um, like getting a C in a class is not a sin. Having a minimum wage job like, is not a sin. You know, those things are just, they're just, they're things our society looks down upon, but that's not what we're talking about here, right? Because the wages of sin are death. So that is from Romans. The wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And I don't think that we believe that. I know that I don't believe that, that my sins will cause my death. Um, but sin is like poison to our hearts, so we drink it voluntarily because a part of us believes that it will make us happy or that it'll, it'll be what's good for us, but it won't. It's, it's poison because it's not what we're made for. And... For some people, their sin is going to be a slow poison in the heart. You know, it's going to be something they're drinking over a long period of time, little sins that kind of that kind of ruin us. And for some people, it's going to be big things that are obvious to see and that um, are really blatant and really wreak, like, not only destruction in their heart, but destruction in their life. You know, so, like, the heroin addict, his sin isn't worse than the capitalist who, like, really is in love with his money. But the heroin addicts, you can see it. You know, you can see the destruction that was wrought. But either way, the wages of sin are death. And we have to really learn to believe that. Um, I, th- I think I put in, they put in that long catechism quote in your own. Sin is an offense against reason, truth, and right consciousness. So you can read that later. It's just like a good kind of definition of sin from the catechism that is striking. But in general, sin is... Uh, separation from God and from our neighbor and from ourselves, which really leads to our spiritual death. Um, it, by definition, enslaves us. So it's, it really is like a drug to an addict. So I am addicted to my sin, and it will ruin me. But I like it, and I think that it's the only way to survive. I think that it is the right way, and I think that it's the only way. But it is like slowly poisoning me. Um, when you think about when you're really angry and all you can think about is how angry you are, or you're really anxious and all you can think about is how anxious you are, like, notice how that kind of poisons your heart and doesn't allow you to love or to do the things you need to do. Or, like, when you're feeling so, um, like, after you've just watched 10 episodes of, on Netflix, like, you just feel gross and you feel like you can't do anything after that because you just like have been gluttonous and then you don't know what to do next because you're paralyzed, right? Those are how sin kind of like slowly poisons our heart and then, I mean, and it grows. So we'll talk a little bit about how sin usually happens. So this is like very desert fathers, how they thought about sin. So something occurs, an event takes place. Then you have a thought about the event. And you either accept that thought or dismiss that thought. You either say, oh yeah, I agree with that, or I don't agree with that. And then you kind of make a plan in your head to respond. And then you either act by rejecting that or doing, going through with your plan. Um, and so we either think and act in the spirit with God in a holy way or out of our flesh sinfully in a disordered way. 
And so when we look, start to look at the patterns of our thoughts and our actions, we can see if we are living a life that is coming from a place of truth and coming from a place of the spirit or coming out of a place of lies and sinfulness in the flesh. So that's what we kind of want to start to look at how we're thinking and acting and kind of what is behind that. So I'll give some examples of this pattern. So let's say somebody misses morning prayer. I could have a couple thoughts. Maybe the first thought that comes to my mind is, oh, she's really lazy and she must not care about the house. So that thought happened. It's just a, it's just a temptation. At that point, it doesn't really mean anything. But then what, what do I do with that? What's next? I can either accept it or I can reject it. I could reject it and say, oh, actually, she probably just had a rough night. Or, oh, like, sometimes I miss morning prayer too, you know? Um, but if I accept that thought that she's lazy and she doesn't care, and I start to dwell on it, and resentment builds and anger builds, and eventually I'm going to start acting kind of callous towards her because I believe in my mind that she is lazy and she doesn't care. Uh, so do you see how it like, starts with the thought and then it kind of like, when we start to dwell on the thought is where the sin starts and then it kind of can manifest in actions if we let it keep going. And in a similar way, like let's say I'm at work and I meet a nice handsome neurology resident and I start to kind of like the attention that he gives me. I start to kind of like being around him and him talking to me. Um, and then when I'm at home, I like think about him and I imagine situations together. And then, so like that is where the sin starts, right? With that like dwelling and that imagining and that like, I'm already assenting to the sin. I'm already saying, okay, yeah, I, I'm gonna believe that lie that he'll make me happy. I'm gonna believe that lie that, um, that I want him, you know? And then at work, I see him more and maybe I see him at a work party and maybe we have a little too much to drink and we sleep together in the end, right? That's how adultery happens. It happens slow and steady and it happens first with an ascent at the beginning with a, oh, like, let me entertain that thought a little bit. And so that is how our sin happens. Um, it starts with a thought in our mind and we either reject that thought or accept that thought and then we go from there. So, kind of when we're looking at rooting out sin, where we start is usually in the action stage. You know, like, okay, I might be thinking about this, but I'm, I'm not going to do it. And that is a good place to start. It's a good place to start with, like, cutting off sinful habits and actions. Like, okay, I want to do this, but I'm not going to. Um, and then we kind of work backwards into, eventually, our hearts are purified and healed, and we don't even think, we don't even, like, assent to those thoughts. We just reject them, or we don't even have them, like, I think St. Therese did a really good job of this, like, just rejecting negative thoughts and, and moving on, or not negative thoughts, I don't, I mean, like, sinful thoughts or lies. So, sin eventually builds into patterns, so we get patterns of thoughts and patterns of actions, and this is referred to as vice. So it's kind of habits that we build that are contrary to God's plan for us, habits that um, are, are destructive. And when we kind of look at those habits, then we can, can learn what are the lies that I believe? You know, what are the, the lies that I am assenting to in my heart that are 
manifesting in these things. So we're going to go through um, just the seven deadly sins because these are like considered the capital sins. They are the roots of most sins. You can trace them back to one of these seven sins. Um, a good acronym is pale gas, if you want to remember them. So we'll kind of start from the beginning. Um, I think that they usually, you think of them as like sins that are more fleshy. So like gluttony and lust, and then like you work your way to sins that are more interior. So pride and wrath are a little more like on the inside. So we'll kind of go through them. And maybe, like, talk about them a little bit. Um, so, gluttony. So, gluttony is a, a fixation with, with physical pleasure, a desire, and, like, obsession with food, um, or sleep, or, or physical things that you can't shake. And the issue with gluttony is it, it just enslaves us, you know? When you think of, um, are you able to stop? eating in order so like someone else has more? Are you able to stop watching that TV show so you can do your homework? Are you able um, to get up when you're supposed to because you've had enough sleep? And so I think, like let's say, I'll ask you a question. When you're like eating a lot of cookies, what is what are like some lies that you might be believing? When you like can't stop eating cookies or you can't stop watching Netflix, what are some lies that you might be acting out of in your heart? Yeah. You think like I have enough time to do that? They want to remember I'm supposed to be doing. I did it yesterday. I was like, oh, I'm gonna do this thing, but I have enough time if I do this and do this. Yeah. Like it all or I'll do that later. Yeah. Like, oh wow, like I really hard to make time back to serve this. Yeah. Yeah, and I think. Oh, it won't really affect me. Like I would, I would never be the person that's dependent on this or like can't stop doing this. I can stop whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, or like just one more. Yeah, just one more. Yeah, I find myself like in bed a little bit, and this is a, oh, probably more sloth, but just like okay, five more minutes, and then that five minutes is up, and I can't get up. It's like okay, I need three more minutes, you know. And like, when does that stop? So that's kind of gluttony and. And it really does bind us, and it is really addictive. Um, we just we live in a, a world where we have such access to things that it's a lot easier to become addicted, I think. So gluttony, and then there's lust. So strong sexual desire for something, um, holding on to tissue and savory in their mind, or, or acting on cheesy, right? So um, any sort of like fornication or masturbation, any of that. So what are some, some lies we believe when we are um, when we're lusting after someone. That is love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we believe that it doesn't really matter, like it's not hurting anyone. Yeah. So like, 
And that, I mean, that is everywhere. Everyone tells you that. It makes them seem like that. And that's really it. Like, the people, the things people do for sex, you're like, well, this has to be, like, the top because no one does this for anything else. Mm-hmm. Besides money, maybe. Which is next, greed. So greed, an obsession with money and material possessions, thinking that you need to really hold on to everything and, and build your own security and not being able to, you know, part with your money or your time or your possessions. So what, what are some things that we're believing when we're acting out of greed? You earned it, and you deserve it. Yeah. No deal's gonna get it for me. Even like that. Yeah, like I have to do it myself. Yeah. Yeah. And you feel like fearful that you won't have enough if you don't give for it away. Yeah. I think just, yeah, wanting to create security for later, you know, like starting some for later to make sure you're safe later. And then sloth is kind of when we are just refuse to meet the demands of love, either demands placed on us by God or by our neighbors or um, just by our, our responsibilities. So we kind of give up. We just kind of give up and say, I can't do it, you know, and settle for what is comfortable. So like... Um, being too lazy to pray or to help your sister make dinner or things like that, you know, are evidence of sloth. So what are some, some lies we believe when we are slothful? I think the biggest one is it isn't that important, I think. I like hear that whisper a lot, like, oh, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter that much, you know. Um, but in reality, I do have responsibilities and I do have things that I'm supposed to do. And so I should do them because it is important. Yeah. And especially if I said that I would do it, you know. Yeah. I feel like even I'm incapable of doing that right now. Like, I'm too tired. I just okay. too much. I'm not able to do it. Yeah. And I think that is like really, it, it like has a whole feeling like list, that as a father's always have like listlessness, just like you're kind of paralyzed and you just feel like you can't do anything. And you just like need something to break you out of that, you know? Okay, so envy is being sad or annoyed or indignant or resentful when someone else gets something good. Um, and so, yeah, whenever something good happens to someone and you kind of feel it on the inside, like, well, I guess I'm not going to get that, or I guess God doesn't love me enough to get that, or I'll only be happy if I get that, or um, they don't really deserve that. I know what they deserve, and they don't deserve that. You know, those are all lies when in reality, 
God's justice isn't our justice. You know, like, there's a lot of things that happen that, oh, like, that doesn't seem right to me, but that's not, that's not my choice to make. Um, and the Lord can give us who pleases, you know, and he can, he can bless people, he can bless me, he can bless someone else, and it'll still be enough for me, you know, just because someone else gets something doesn't mean that I won't get something good, too. Um, and then wrath is like strong feelings and anger, annoyance, or displeasure. So I think this is really common in women. Um, and we might not like have a lot of road rage, but I think it builds in our hearts, just like anger and resentment and annoyance just kind of builds and it festers and it is like, it's like a slow poison. Um, and so when we're feeling wrathful, what, what we're usually feeling is like, I don't deserve that. Or, um, I never deserve to be wronged, or they're out to get me, they did it on purpose, I'm better than them, you know, and, and the truth is, and this is hard to accept as a Christian, but Jesus was crucified, and so people aren't always going to like me, you know, like, not everyone at work has to like me, not everyone at work has to do what I want them to do, or like live the way I want them to live, that's just not, that's not the world, you know, not everything has to go my way, and most people aren't out to get me, they just are doing their thing and they do things that annoy me and that it's just you know it happens and so it's silly to let that poison my heart when it's like oh yeah that, that's just that's just what they did and it didn't mean anything you know it shouldn't have such an effect on me as to like consume my thoughts um and the last one this is like probably the, the root of most sins i think and most things can be traced back to pride so thinking ourselves better than other people um, even, be- even better than God. So this is kind of like a rejection of God's sovereignty and a rejection of our need for a savior. And so when you think, what do you guys think of when you think of like moments that you've been prideful? Like what, what were the lies in pride? I'm sure there's a time today that you were prideful, you know? Like what, what was going through your head that made you feel, you know, self-righteous or... Um, better than someone, or like you really deserved something. My name's better. Yeah. Things like I've earned God's love, or I've earned the good things that you've done. Yeah. I think for me sometimes it is like, Everything depends on me, and if I mess this up, then, like, everything will fall apart, you know? Like, I'm so important to this situation that, like, if I don't do a good job, then there's no way to be saved because I'm so important to it, you know? Or um, I always have to look out for myself. Like, no one else will look out for me, so I need to really get it together. So we just went through a lot of lies. You guys, I mean, you did a really good job. So you know the you know the the lies and the things that are leading to leading to sinful actions. So that is great. But the thing is, like, we don't have to believe these lies. Like, we can believe the truth and we can be free of these sins. Um, we can we can be alive, and that is what's so exciting. So I don't it I don't want it to feel like this is just to talk about sin, but to talk about 
you can be alive, I can be alive and free from the things that are enslaving me and from, and from my sin. So we can live a life in the spirit and it'll make us happier. Like we, Therese is happier because she doesn't get really angry at people when they make mistakes. Like I'm happier when I say no to sloth and get up in the morning and pray. I am happier when I am humble with my coworkers and don't think I'm better than them and spend the whole day thinking about how good I am. You know, like, I'm happier like that because that is what I'm made for. And we just have to, like, convince ourselves of that and, and let the Spirit kind of work in our heart and transform us. And so that is, like, where virtue comes in a little bit. So we talked about vice, which are like habits of sin, habits of thinking and acting that are contrary to God, that are in the flesh, and then virtue is the opposite. So virtue is kind of when our hearts have been healed and when we kind of perceive the world God the way God perceives it and acts out of that. Um, and so virtue, I'm sure like you guys can think of virtues that you've grown in over the years. There's kind of like natural virtues. Like I'm sure you've grown in self-control and self-discipline just from being in college. And then um, like humility is more of a spiritual virtue, you know, that we grow in that. And we grow in it through you know, prayer and being with Jesus, and then practice, right? We practice virtues in little ways and in big ways. And and I think a lot of it is, like, reflecting on why we do what we do um, and why, yeah, what is leading to this, and so then you can recognize it. You're like, every time this happens, I think this thing, and then I do this, you know? Every time... Um, I get a report from this certain coworker. I think that he's dumb, and then I get really angry, and I complain about him. So I know that, and so then the next time I get a report, I can like be ready for that temptation to come, and I can say, he's not dumb. He just talks about things differently than I do, and I probably would say the same thing, you know? So this is the Christian life, like putting the life of flesh to death and living in life in the Spirit um, so we, we crucify the desires with Christ on the cross and we rejoice with the saints in glory because they are alive and that is where we're headed, right? So we're headed to life with the saints and so we kind of like start that transformation here. It's like a real transformation from death into life and it's not about like moral perfection. It's not about like, okay, just do everything perfect. It's about like, oh, my heart is different. Oh, my... My life has been transformed by a renewal of my mind, and I actually encounter the world differently because I have been changed and brought to life by Christ Jesus. And we can't do it on our own, right? St. Paul says, like, a dog returns to his vomit, so we return to our sins. And, and we know that, you know, like, how often you go to confession and then do the same sins again, right? We, we like to eat our own vomit. That is the play of humans. And it's only Christ that can kind of pull us out of that and that can help us um, to be transformed and to see clearly. So we turn to Jesus. We give, give all of our effort with our sisters um, to turn from our life in the flesh into live a life in the spirit. So what I want you to kind of take away from this, our sins are real. As much as they seem like not that big of a deal, they have real and deadly consequences for us and for other people. 
But that isn't the end of the story. There's a better life for us, a real life of freedom that, that we get to step into and live into, a life redeemed with Christ. So I just pray that we can all like take another step towards that, a step towards living a more redeemed life, a life that um, sees as Christ sees, and a life that um, is truly alive, not, not living in slavery and fear, but a life for freedom. I don't know if you guys read the reading today, but the reading, first reading was, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So we need to claim that freedom um, and step away from the lies and the slavery because we are made for freedom. And that, that is where we're headed. And so, so why not start now? Who doesn't want to be free now? Amen? Amen.